Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10, 19 through 20, and 32 through 35. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Shelah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. Verses 19 through 20. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Selah. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belong deliverance from death. Verses 32 through 35. O kingdom of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This is the word of the Lord. We do need a sixth team member for our trip this week. So if you're interested, see Brother Kerry uh, after the service. We've got five committed and we leave tomorrow afternoon, early afternoon. Brother Kerry's going to show, show us the way into... Louisiana so um, we want to go try to bless others who are in need if you could go with us this week and help us we need a sixth so um, love for you to join us now Thomas did you find Psalm 68 you got it right there in your Bible you got it are you with me are you ready Amelia Amelia you got Psalm 68 Nathan and Emily you guys good Eli where are you you got it open Psalm 68, you're ready to go? Okay, all right, you don't have to say anything, I just need a head nod, okay? All right, let's do it. Psalm 68, uh, and man, first sermon with your kindergarten Bible, mark that on the tablet of your heart. This is an awesome day. Psalm 68 is, um, it's been called a rushing river of a psalm. Because 
there's just movement and activity and stuff happening all the time in Psalm 68. So, so it scatters, it burns, it melts, it quakes, it shimmers in the light. It sings. Not every psalm has a call in it to sing. You would think it would, but, it, but they don't. I mean, the psalms are the songs, and so implicitly it's there. But, but here, we are called to sing, and so there's all this energy in this psalm. There's a lot going on. I want to try to corral some of these wild thoughts um, into uh, a main idea for you. Think of this psalm as a song that was written to celebrate God's care and protection for his people. God's care and his protection for his people, and not just for his people, but also for the Gentiles who do not yet know the God of Israel and who do not yet love in obedience and delight in relationship. If this processional psalm, a kind of a marching and singing idea, if this processional psalm was written to be sung as they escorted the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom back into, or into for the first time, the newly won Jerusalem, the city of David now, if that's the context for this, then it celebrates the end of a really long journey that goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. This song celebrates the giving of the covenant. It celebrates a long, faithful relationship that is developing between God and his people. And so it becomes sort of a, a marker psalm, a uh, marker and a, a statement about God's covenant faithfulness to his people. It celebrates the faithfulness of God in the journey celebrating the faithful, faithfulness of God in the long journey of life. Um, so that's, that's kind of what's going on here, and, and I think what I want you to settle in on, uh, as there's so much going on in this psalm, but what I want to just today, and we could do other elements of Psalm 68 another time, what I want you to settle in on is this, that the faithfulness of God to make for himself the faithfulness of God to make for himself a people out of the most unlikely people. The faithfulness of God to make for himself some people, a, a group of people out of those that are less likely. And for those people to then care about those who are also the least likely for the world to care about there's really something significant happening here in this psalm that connects God's faithfulness with those that the world does not seem to care about. And what I want to do is dial in on verses 4, 5, and 6. So if you've got your Bible handy still, look at verses 4, 5, and 6, and we're going to think about the care and compassion of our Father the care and compassion of God for those in need. Let me show you three things about God our Father. He cares for the fatherless, he protects the widows, and he sets the lonely in families. He cares for the fatherless. Let's start there. The text says in verse 5, he is father to the fatherless. 
This is, like, this is one of those places where you want to mark in your mind, this is where the Bible says God is our Father. He is Father to the fatherless. I mean, this calls to mind what the Bible teaches us again and again to think of, uh, that, is, that God is our Father, so much so that the doctrine of the Trinity is built on the concept that the first person of the triune God is God our Father. It's texts like this that convince us that the doctrine of the, of the Trinity is a very significant, real thing to understand and to believe. But something more is going on here. This is not just, uh, I mean, this is not the formal expression of the doctrine in one line, right? Um, but, but there's more going on here with regard to who God is as Father. Something that links the character and the power and the strength of God to those who do not have an earthly father. That's what's being said here. He is father to the fatherless. So the psalmist wants, to, David wants to tap into this idea that, that God is caring for those who don't have an earthly father because that's what God does. To those who've never met their earthly father, and there are many, to those who have dads who are home, but were very distant and unengaged when their children were being raised. To those who, in an even worse context, were abused or molested or beaten by their earthly father. I don't think anything is quite as horrifying. I, I, I did not experience this. But I imagine nothing is quite as horrifying as domestic abuse. Because the place where you're supposed to be able to retreat to each day to live in the brokenness of the world, the place you're supposed to be able to retreat to in safety and care and protection is now a place of threat and intimidation and fear and no rest. What's more terrifying than consistent domestic abuse? Verse 5 reminds us that God loves to put his energy and strength and power to work caring for those who don't have an earthly father or who have uh, an earthly father who has wronged them. God loves to come to the rescue as father. So like if you're experiencing brokenness in this part of your life, guess what God wants to be for you today and for every day from now on? He wants to be the heavenly father that your earthly father could never be. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 says, Paul says, I bow my knee to uh, the, the father I'm praying for the church, and I bow my knee to the Father, parenthetically, the one after whom the whole world has been named. God as Father is the thing behind the basic structures of human relationships. That's what this psalm is kind of tapping into. God 
is our Father, and He especially loves to care for those who do not have an earthly Father who reflects His image as a caring, loving, providing, leading, protecting Father. God loves to step in and do that. A few decades ago, our culture was described as fatherless America by Dave Blankenhorn in a, in a book in the 90s. And, um, and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. The trends in America uh, with regard to fatherless America are increasing, not decreasing. There have never been more single moms trying to figure out how to go to work, how to raise kids, how to put good meals on the table, how to clean the house and deal with life's problems all at the same time. We're in an unprecedented crisis of that. And by the way, the single most significant demographic of brokenness in this zip code, in our community, in our local elementary schools, and like right here, our yard, is single moms and fatherless America. And this is not just a particular, like th this is no respecter of race. This trend is no respecter of race. It's increasingly a problem for white, black, Hispanic, just go down the list. It's not a respecter of race. So what does that mean for us who have, for those of us who've experienced a new relationship with God as Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, what does that mean for us as a people of God? How should we use our energy and strength to care for the fatherless? I want, I want you to think about that this week. Like, don't, don't leave here thinking, well, the pastors are going to figure this out. We're not. We need you to help us figure this out. How to, befriend, how to befriend a single mom in your neighborhood, how to minister to her, how to bring the resources from your community group to bear on yard work at her house or whatever else needs to be done, uh, not because you want to get her to ch come to church, but because you want a passport to bring the gospel into her life. And just, just, there's got to be a hundred ways we can minister to single moms in this, in this area, in this context. So this is how we would live out the character of God, by caring for our neighbors. We've got to figure this out. We have got to figure this out as a church. How can we step into their world? All right, here's the second thing. He not only cares for the fatherless. God, our Father, cares for the fatherless. He protects widows. So look what the text says, verse 5. He's father of the fatherless, and he's protector of the widows. Now, some of you might have defender. If you have the NIV, it reads defender. It, it really, the word can be translated defender, judge, or protector. All good translations. In this context, we think defender or protector is probably what is at work mostly. A widow is someone who has suffered serious loss. Now this will not, until this happens to you or comes really close to your family, you won't feel this. Widow will just be a word in the Bible. But when it does happen to you, or widower, a man or a woman losing a spouse, a widow is someone who has suffered serious loss. The husband, we think most of the time of, of widows because of, of the Bible's, the Bible puts it in the context, mostly addressing the widow, the wife, uh, because she has 
shared her life with a man relationally, physically, and emotionally. The man she had become one with over many years is now gone. And his absence makes her more vulnerable. Not because she lacks her own inner strength, not because she lacks personal virtue or her own voice or anything like that, but simply because two are better than one. And because for years she has shared life with another person, and now he's gone. And, and that does make her more vulnerable in different ways. She's alone in the world at a distinct disadvantage. And here's why, because the world loves to use people. Listen to this, the world loves to use people. Men and women, red and yellow, black and white, doesn't matter, the world's operating system is to use people, chew them up and spit them out. That's what the world does. It doesn't know another way. That's what we mean by worldliness. Not everybody in the world, and not the world at all times and all places, because there's a lot of common grace out there. But in the operating system of the world, it loves to take advantage of people. It's hardwired to do so. Jesus said this, listen, even those who claim to be religious take advantage of other people. Jesus said, beware, uh, this is in, Matthew, uh, this is in uh, Mark 12, beware of the scribes who give the appearance of religion, who walk around in long flowing garments, these, these robes, these priestly robes, like they're, like they're in charge of things, gre making greetings in the marketplace. They have the best seats in the synagogues. Listen to this. Beware of these scribes who have the appearance of religion who devour widows' houses. That's what the text says. Religious men who devour widows' houses. That means they prey on the vulnerable. That means they take their money for religious causes that are not religious causes. They're not good causes. Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation. What is Jesus doing? He's saying what God's saying. I protect widows. God protects widows. He takes up the cause of the vulnerable. He cares for the elderly and those who are growing weaker. And one of the main ways he does this is through his people, the church. One of the main things that God does is he cares for those who are more and more vulnerable over time or those who are getting older and weaker. He cares for them through the church. So you, you can think less about self-advocacy and more about other people advocating for you. Self-advocacy can often be dangerous. But when you have a people who are caring for you and looking out for you and standing up for you, the Apostle James writes this in chapter 1, religion that is pure, religion that is good and undefiled before God the Father, right? There it is. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, it's this, to visit orphans and widows, to care for the fatherless, and to care for widows, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world, unstained. So, 
what would that mean for us as a church? How could we get creative? And yes, our deacon ministry should be targeting the ministry of widows, but it is not just for deacons to minister to widows. It is for the whole church. And in fact, if you read the New Testament, you'll see it's not just Acts chapter 6 where widows are cared for by, by this, uh, what appears to be this new deacon group that's forming. It, it's, it's throughout the letters, and it's a call to the church. It's a call to the church. It's not, we, you, you cannot say as a New Testament believer, well, the deacons got that covered. That would not be good. That would not be, this morning, um, one of our widows, this just happened. This is so cool. This morning, one of our widows um, that I was talking to, she said, so is that, is one of those families up there, is that the so-and-so family? And I said, yeah, it's them right over there. She said, because they've been looking out for me during covid but I've never really met them. I never really met them face to face. I like to meet them this morning. <laughs> I'm like, man, that's awesome. A, a family in the same neighborhood who found out that one of the widows in our church has needs right now, didn't wait for a sign-up sheet, didn't look for a program, didn't wait for a pastor to call them and say, will you please care for someone, right, which we're feel like we're doing all the time they just did it and and what's growing now is an affection in this family like the body of Christ that's awesome this is what we should be doing here's the third thing he sets the lonely in families now I love this I love this God is the one who puts look at verse six God sets the lonely, the uh, one translation reads, God sets the lonely in families. Uh, the ESV, if you have that, uh, Thomas, if you're looking at verse 6, um, Emily, if you're looking at verse 6, Eli, if you're looking at verse 6 with me, it says God, the ESV reads, God settles the solitary in a home. He gives those who are solitary, who are lonely, who don't have a family, he gives them a family. He gives them a place. The idea is that the person who has no friends, the person who is lonely, the person who has no one to eat with or talk to or simply be present with. You know, sometimes you just need to be present with another person. No talking. Just be present. There are many, many people who are experiencing loneliness and solitary states of life. They have no one to look out for them, no one to enjoy life. They need a family. The context of the psalm, writes Alan Ross, the context of this psalm leads us to see how God brings the lonely into families. He brings the lonely into families by bringing them into covenant relationship with the people of God. That's a beautiful thought. Like that's what makes us different than the other social clubs that are out there. That we become a family in new relationship. Just like God established Israel as his own distinct family, that's what's kind of in the background running through this psalm, just like God establishes Israel as his own distinct family with their own land and place and delivered them from Egyptian bondage to do that, right? That's what's going on here, verse seven. 
so also he will set the lonely in a covenant family. That means that we need to take seriously as a church being that family to each other and then to those who have not yet entered in to the family, but maybe who are standing on the fringe looking. Like, like, do we pay attention to the lonely? Do we pay attention to the person who's by himself or herself? Do we say, hey, come sit with us. Now, I know it's challenging with COVID. I understand that. But we're, getting, we're figuring this out. We can figure this out too. We're not going to leave people stranded because we have masks on. The lonely could be a new family that relocated here and they don't know anyone and they take the courageous step of visiting our church. What do they feel? What do they sense? What do they experience? Or the lonely could be the new international family in your neighborhood that keeps to themselves not because they're snobby, not because of why you think they keep to themselves, probably, maybe, judging them in your thinking. The lonely could be that new international family that's keeping to themselves for a reason you may not be fully aware of because they are nervous. They're anxious about not saying the right thing to you. They don't feel, they feel out of place. They, they don't feel like they would, they feel like they would make a mistake in front of you. And that's not always the case, but it's often the case. So here's what should be characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ. God sets the lonely in families. He welcomes people into a life-giving, faith-building community. So I want to encourage you this morning to just simply ask God, would you pray, in, in a few minutes when we pray, would you ask God to give you a sense of situational awareness? You know, we talk about situational awareness with our children all the time, right? We talk about, situ I, we do, we talk about situational awareness. What's happening around you? You're looking out for those who are around you. Um, you're thinking not, not just of your own safety, but also of the care of others. Situational awareness is really important. Let's start seeing the lonely who are around us, whether it's at church, or whether it's in a community, or whether it's at school, or some kind of event. So the kings and the presidents and the governors of this world, all the powerful leaders of this world, they give their attention to the rich and to the powerful. And, but the Lord, Psalm 68 teaches us, he champions the vulnerable, the helpless, and the lonely. Now, one last thing. When you see verse four, I wanna, show, I, I wanna suggest why I think David is singing. When verse four says sing, like sing to God and sing praises to his name, lift up a song. Look at verse four. He's the God who rides on the clouds. Um, probably rides on the clouds is the better rendering of that. So sing to God and sing praises to his name. Lift up a song. His name is the Lord. Why is he so amazing? Why should you sing to him? What stirs song inside of your heart? It's, it's the gospel that David describes in these lines. God 
rescues the weak, not the strong. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God rescues the weak, not the strong. He rescues those in need, not those who don't think they need help. Jesus would say this repeatedly, I did not come to save the righteous. They don't think they need anything. I came to save sinners. I came to save the needy. I came about grace. The gospel is about grace. God never calls people to earn salvation by their own strength. I think that's why David is singing. Like, I think David is singing, oh man, I couldn't save myself, but God could save me. Sing with me. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the one who cares about widows. He's the one who sees the lonely in the corner when you don't. That'll make you sing. That'll make you sing. Like the gospel is activated and that should make us sing. We should be known for loving the poor and the needy, caring for the lonely, the marginalized, enacting the gospel in our lives, not just by singing, but by befriending single moms by asking ourselves, who's the widow in my neighborhood I need to care for? By seeing the lonely. And you don't even have to give them a gospel presentation when you, when you reach out to them. All you need to do, and you can do it with your mask on, all you need to do is show them your eyes, say you wanna to get to know them and help them. Is there anything you could do to minister? You know, we, just, we just wanna be a blessing to you and your family. We just love to get to know you. Well, tell me about where you are. What's going on? What's happening this week in your life? Is there something we could help you with? I mean, these are people you've already started conversations with and you know. But you don't have to come in with your gospel gun. No, don't do that. Come in with the compassion of the God who sent his only son. And he did that to rescue those who cannot save themselves. Now maybe today, um, maybe today you are lonely. You might even have people in your house and be lonely. Or struggling with your earthly father. Or a new widow recently having lost a husband. Let this church family be, um, be like God and his faithfulness to you. And, and if we don't step toward you, don't be afraid to say, I need help. It is on us to step toward you. Like that's what this whole message is about. But if we don't, man, just tell us what's going on in your life. Come to us. It is definitely, uh, we need to hear from you. Last week, last Sunday, I love Pastor Allen's challenge for Lottie Moon, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, I love that challenge because the Lottie Moon offering, really, as much as anything we do, is us giving to those who are in need, who are in need of the gospel, who are in need, in, uh, in need of being brought into a, a family of God like this. 
Um, we, our family's all in. By the end of Sunday night, our kids had already come up with a strategy, and they're like, we're all in for 500. I said, we are? That's great. Let's do it. All right, so we're taking the $500 challenge. We're all in, and we're going to, you know, put the container on the table in the middle, and one of them was already doing the math on what that's going to mean for each of us to get to 500, and so I love that cha- I love the $500 challenge that we got hit with so graciously but compellingly last Sunday. So we're in. We're, we're going to slide our chips to the side of the table or to the center of the table. But here's why. Not just because we want to give more to Lottie Moon than other gifts, which is, a, which is a great thing, but not just because of that. What's the why behind that? Because we really believe, and this is what Pastor Allen would believe and believes and would teach, we really believe that the best way to do this, to care for the fatherless, to protect widows, right, and to, and to see the lonely come to a place, the, the best way to do that is to help them discover the gospel and be part of a family in a local church that treasures Christ. Like, that's the most healthy thing that could ever happen to them. So planting churches... All over the world is one of the most effective ways of caring for those in need. So, so I want to encourage you to think about that gift and start preparing for it for Christmas. Now, we're going to pray, and let me ask you to do this. As we pray this morning, I want to pray for, especially for one group. You could pray for any group that the Lord's put on your heart today. The fatherless, the widow, or the lonely, but I want to especially pray, just as a pastor, for the lonely today, and for those who are in our community and in our church family. So will you join me, and we'll pray together. Lord, this morning our hearts go out to those who want friends, but may not have them to those who want to trust their conversations to another person but don't seem to have trust. To those who are distant in our community, to those who are lonely, to those who are in need, God, would you help us to see the lonely all around us? Would you give me eyes to see? Would you give give each of us eyes to see the lonely? And God, help us to stop waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. Help us to move toward them. God, thank you that in my dark, self-centered loneliness that was claustrophobic and unhealthy and And thank you that in the midst of that, you came to me and drew me out of that through Christ. Please help us to see that happen with others. We pray for the lonely today, and we pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen.